Welcome to The Conversation. This is Gretchen. And hi, I'm Christy. This is Conversations to Connect. You're listening to episode 12, where we will be continuing the conversation about grief and loss. This one will be focused on trauma um, during birth. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, Gretchen, you have a personal history with experiences that you've had and we've talked a lot about you know when you plan for something and you want something to go a certain way in the last episode we were talking about what happens when you're trying to get pregnant and you find out you have some infertility issues but then what happens when you have this sort of birth plan and then everything goes out the window absolutely and so i met with a friend of mine her name is heather and she shared her story with birth trauma and the things that she went to went through and she and i have talked a lot about um what that is like and you know that the differences between a typical birth i think what the majority of women um experience or maybe not the majority or I don't aspire know for sure. to yeah or aspire what mm-hmm. we expect mm-hmm. again so this is a a loss that sometimes is really hard and we it's hard to feel validated in mm-hmm. because especially if you end up with a healthy child both of my children are fine but both of the births of my sons were traumatic mm-hmm. and were um definitely not typical right and traumatic in a sense of not only do you not expect it to go this way but it's so scary yeah i mean i'm not speaking from experience but like when something is an emergency situation and you don't know what's happening and your partner doesn't know what what's happening um that can trigger the effects of trauma on a person's brain definitely and when you're in a medical emergency communication goes out the window and so as you know the purpose of this podcast is that we connect through communicating Mm -hmm. and when you don't understand what is happening or why something is happening it just deepens that sense of grief and loss even more because you have no understanding of what is happening why it's happening Mm -hmm. why is this happening to me um and i i can say from experience because i have had two children having a traumatic birth experience the first time made my second pregnancy completely different than it did from my first pregnancy. So I felt like it was really important to be able to bring this experience of birth trauma to light. And I was so grateful to have Heather share her story um, about her pregnancy with her son Noah and how that has impacted her. Great. And so um, we are going to listen to that now. And thank you, Heather, for coming on. We really appreciate you, you know, um, sharing your story with all of us. Thanks. So I want to welcome Heather to the podcast um, and continuing our conversation about grief and loss. I invited Heather to come and talk about um, kind of like two things, really. One, um, birth trauma and also the loss of, I think like she and I were talking about this, like it, it is definitely a loss, a loss of the ideal or the loss of an idea about what your birth is going to be. I think that when we talk about pregnancy and um, birthing children, we have a very typical vision in mind. Would you agree? Definitely, yes. And so when things don't go the way that we think they're going to go um, and very much out of our control, it is something that can affect all women. And so I wanted to have Heather here to share her story. And um, so I'd like to just begin with kind of maybe just talking about if you had, what was your vision kind of like, what was that? Like, what did you envision your pregnancy and your, and the birth of your child to look like to be? All right. Well, first, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, 
very honored to share my story because I think it's something that's not talked about and something that I was not aware of, that things don't always go perfect. Most people in my family have had beautiful children, ideal births, and I will skip forward that my and story has a happy ending. I have a yeah. beautiful, almost two-year-old son, so everything worked out in the end, <laughs> continuing to work out. Yeah. Um, but I want to start with this quote, really. It's, when you stand and share your story in an empowering way, your story w- will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. And that's from Ayanla Van Zant. So It's beautiful. That's really what I've taken to in sharing this story. It's can be difficult and sometimes I feel like maybe oversharing or breaking some privacy, but it's important to me to continue to share because I've had other people step forward in their stories since sharing mine. Mm. Um, so I don't know that I ever really had many clear visions. I think how it's my... ingrained almost because like you said, you see all the people in your family who maybe had these ideal births and that it wasn't anything like it's just just what happens right but I also honestly I always kind of pictured myself having a c-section which I guess that'll be a spoiler alert there (laughs) (laughs) but um I honestly couldn't really envision I don't know if that sounds weird like having the baby in the hospital and well having everyone visit and everybody being in my room that just wasn't me and I wasn't sure how I would handle that having everyone around me and just it, I couldn't envision it and foresee how that would go. So so tell me a little bit then about when did you start noticing, I guess, that maybe something was off, right? Because there was a point that that came about, yeah? Yes. I think I started noticing things much earlier, way earlier than I was actually, quote unquote, diagnosed with issues. But it's so hard to tell it being your first child and being your first pregnancy. You don't know what's going on as much as you talk to other people or your family and friends. There's so many changes in your body that a lot of mine were brushed off whenever I would express things to the doctor. They'd be like, oh, you're just pregnant. Mm. But me knowing my body and them not knowing that I never complain about pain, I have a very high pain tolerance and things like that for me to express I thought something was maybe off that wasn't really taken into a strong consideration yeah consideration yeah so what can you tell me then just a little bit about how that when when they finally did realize that maybe something was off like what what were you experiencing what were you going through the real diagnosis didn't come until 34 weeks so um I'll back up a little bit so my pregnancy I was pretty sick it wasn't a terrible pregnancy but definitely not easy it was couldn't keep food down I actually lost weight my first trimester um which they didn't really care about that which if you're growing a child I feel like you really shouldn't be right. <laughs> losing weight I mean it was only like a pound but still my belly was growing and I was losing weight um and he actually measured small in his first ultrasound which was at 11 weeks and it was only a few days at the time but So that wasn't really a big deal, but that could have been a sign of something. He measured fine at 20 weeks. My sickness had kind of settled down. Then around 30 weeks, I got the flu. So I was really, really sick. And you can't do anything. They're like, here's some Tylenol. (laughs) 
yeah, I, I wasn't taking hardly anything, but my shower, my baby shower was set for 32 weeks and I had a male doctor and he was like, oh, just change the shower till you're feeling better. And me and my mom are like, okay, well, we yeah, can't do that. We've been planning this for, you know, for forever five, since I was, yeah. since I told my mom I was pregnant, you know, we, it was planned. It's <laughs> so. not something you did together. <laughs> so I actually had him give me anti-nausea medicine to get me through my shower and it was yeah. fine. Everything was fine. But during this time, I was so swollen. I couldn't wear shoes. Now, keep in mind, this is January. So I was wearing flip-flops everywhere. Never wore a coat, really, because I was just so hot, so swollen. So before my 34-week appointment, my swelling had gotten to the point where it wouldn't go down. You know, before it was I could kind of rest and put my feet up and I'd be okay. And at this point, I have pictures that I was looking at preparing for this yeah. <laughs> podcast and my feet like were just indented and Ugh. it was to the point where if I hadn't had my regular 34 week scheduled appointment that I would have gone to the doctor and I'm not that type of person. I didn't, yeah. I have knee issues. I didn't go to the doctor till I literally couldn't walk and my dad had to carry me to the car. So it was that bad that I was prepared to do something about it. Ironically, my mom actually went to me with that appointment instead of my husband because he had a really big work thing. I don't remember. Somebody was in town. I was like, oh, it's fine. Go to work. I'll be fine. My mom can come. Yeah. But so we go to our appointment and my doctor was taking forever and we're like, what is up? We have things to do. I don't know what we had planned, but yeah. you know, girls, yeah, right. <laughs> probably shopping, probably doing <laughs> something to get ready for the baby. And when he finally came in, it was because he ha- was seeing everyone else before me because he knew he needed to um, devote more time to me to speak to me. So long story short, my blood pressure was slightly high. Um, had protein in your urine, which if you've had a baby, you know, you always get tested. So basically I was showing signs of preeclampsia. So this was startling to him because I was only at 34 weeks. Yeah. It's more, again, it's really early because I was preeclamptic with both of my children and my pregnancies were totally fine all the way through. And with my first I went into labor naturally, and when I got to the hospital, the only reason they kept me was because I was preeclamptic, because I had protein in my urine, and I had an elevated blood pressure. But And then the same thing with my second, the reason I wasn't even in labor, and I woke up, like, horrible headache, so tight and swollen. Like, my husband noticed, he said, like, what's wrong with your lips? Like, my lips were swollen. So it is something that is typically, if it does happen, it happens very close to labor or like the baby is coming right and that's what he expressed that if i had been you know 37 weeks plus it'd be no big deal basically yeah. he'd be like you're having a baby now. today now. right <laughs> yeah so this was february 3rd i was due march 16th 17th they couldn't really decide yeah. <laughs> somewhere they don't really in that know. range yeah, yeah. <laughs> since he was measuring small it was whatever um so that was his concern it was mm. basically he wasn't going to let me go longer than 37 weeks, but I had three more weeks to go until then, and he wanted me to be able to go as long as possible. So he basically said, you need to go to the hospital right now. So me and my mom being us, we went home. My bags were packed because I'm mm. crazy and plan. Everything was done. <laughs> like, literally, when I was in the hospital, people were like, oh, are you ready? I'm like, yes. Like, <laughs> the only thing we didn't have was, like, the car seat wasn't in the car. We had it. It just yeah. wasn't in the car. So. Yeah. When he was like, I'll go right to the hospital. I'm like, they could probably wait. I've been suffering for how long? <laughs> like, <laughs> What's fine. a few extra minutes? Fine, let me go get my pillow because I just, again, had this feeling like I was probably going to be there a while. So yeah. we eventually went to McGee, um, went into triage, McGee Hospital, and they started doing their preliminary tests and they were quizzing me like, are you anxious? Like trying to figure out 
if my high blood pressure was caused like stress by, related. Right. Yeah. And I was like, no, honestly, like I'm calm. And my mom was like, yeah, like she's, she knows me. She's like, no, she's very calm right now. Yeah. <laughs> I might seem more stressed out than the average person, but I was honestly truly calm. I knew I was in the right place. I mean, of course, scared, but yeah. then they basically decided at that point to admit me. Um, not a whole lot of information right away, but I was admitted. So being that I was 34 weeks, I was, maybe they sent me to ultrasound first. They basically, I think they sent me to ultrasound first to check on the baby. And that's where they discovered he was very small. They Mm -hmm. um, had, you know, measured and they can kind of tell. And he was only measuring about four pounds, two ounces. And, you know, that is a very just estimate at that point. So we knew he was small, basically diagnosed him with IUGR, which is inter interuterine growth restriction Mm. caused by my preeclampsia so he wasn't getting what he needed constantly I think it affects your blood flow to the placenta so that's why he was small so at that point they um gave me a steroid to help boost his lung growth because they wasn't they weren't sure how long I could make it Mm. so again not a whole lot of information they didn't really tell me that then the next day I would get another one Gotcha. It's a, a two-step process. And then they didn't tell me that you have to be kept for 24 hours past that shot. Mm. So so you're like committing to two days in the hospital. And I didn't really know that up front. I was kind of like, at that point, I wanted to go home. Yeah. Which, so that was a Friday. I was admitted. So basically, without really knowing it, I had a ticket to stay there until Sunday. Um, and I, you know, doctors checking on you rounds constantly, fetal monitoring, blood work to check on my liver and kidneys because that's mostly what the preeclampsia is affecting. Um, I had to track all my liquids in and out, pee in a beautiful little trough in (laughs) in the toilet. Not fun. (laughs) It's great. Um, Yeah. So this now takes us to Sunday. So I've been in the hospital about three days and I actually developed a headache. Up until this point, Mm. they were talking about sending me home just because our lovely System insurance, I wasn't super duper high risk, even though my protein markers, I think, were triple or quadruple what the actual marker is for preeclampsia, so I definitely had it. Um, So anyway, this Sunday I developed a headache, and just ironically on rounds, I had my actual doctor that I had seen all through my pregnancy, so um, he was extra concerned. Not that there are not all concerned for you, but, but you know, he knew you, he knew me. Yeah. So he basically was like, you're not going anywhere. And up until this point I was working on my computer and he was like, you need to stop. Mm. So I just stopped. I told my work I'm done because again, I, this was six weeks early. I had been at work right. the day before I would, was admitted and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to work up until I, my due date, whatever. Yeah. Well, things, right. <laughs> things change. Yeah. Right. So basically that headache pretty much earned me a ticket to stay until the baby came, which I was fine with because then I was still calm, but then I was more concerned and scared because they were like, we could send you home and you'd come into the office every day for all these monitoring. And I'm like, I knew I would freak out. I wasn't freaking out in the hospital because I knew I had what I was needed. They checked on me every three hours. Constant monitoring. Checked on the baby multiple times a day. Like he was doing fine. Mm. So it was basically a balance of when is my health or his health in jeopardy and he was fine 
I basically hung out in the hospital and did nothing because my headaches progressed and I started actually like lose vision in my eyes. Oh, wow. Which I later asked my eye doctor about and they said that can be caused by your hormones being just crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, start to lose your vision because, again, like they weren't concerned in the hospital, but they never like described like, anything. And I was just so just like dying that I didn't have the energy to like ask why. Yeah. Which now like I wish I would have, but you can't obviously can't change it now. Yeah. So about a week later they round I would like get up every morning because I didn't sleep at all. Um oh. <laughs> at all when I was in there. So my the residents would come see you around five, six in the morning. So I'd usually try to get up or sometimes they'd wake me up and they'd turn the lights on and I'd be like, oh no <laughs> please no lights. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically living in darkness. And they, they do your blood pressure and whatever medical term, yeah. vitals, yeah. you know, multiple times a day. And so they had done mine and my resident was like, are you okay? Because again, I was there for a week. So I knew her super cute. Like mm-hmm. she knew what was going on yeah. a little bit. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I slept for like the first time since I've been here. And she's like, okay, well, you're not okay. <laughs> my blood pressure was at 180 over 120. Oh, wow. So normal is about like 120, 120 over 80. 80. So yeah. basically. Really um, bad. Yeah, I was shutting down, which yeah. <laughs> is why um, I think I slept good. because My body was <laughs> shutting, shutting down at that point. So. She was like, you're having a baby, like we're inducing you. And also ironically, my husband, I had sent him home because I'm like, I can't sleep here. You go get Mm. rest. But it had snowed seven inches that night. So he actually stayed with my brother who lives very close to the hospital in the city. So he was able to get to the hospital relatively quickly because they were moving me from my room, which I was on the high risk unit whenever I was living there basically so they were moving me to the ICU to deliver um I had called my mom because of course I need my mom and it was pretty fast moving to get me out of my room and over to the ICU and get labor started and I had kept asking the question are we just going to take the baby out that was a Mm. question Pretty much throughout my stay, my mom would ask, like, if it's this bad, are we just going to do a C-section when the time comes? And they just kept saying that it was safer to deliver naturally, and I just accepted that as my truth. So when we are in the ICU for labor and delivery, delivery, they started to induce me. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I was just at 35 weeks. So he was high and tight, as I'll put it to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> he was not ready to come out and he was small so like you're not gonna dilate you're not gonna efface because you don't have the pressure yeah I was none of those things yeah (laughs) Yeah. there's no dilation none of that so he he was up in there so they started with it's a pill basically to soften your cervix Mm. um and bless this doctor that I had had her on rounds previously since I lived there for a week I knew everybody so that was kind of a benefit when she walked into the door I was just like thank goodness it's her I'll shout out Dr. Joshi hopefully (laughs) that's okay Mm -hmm. with her um because she saved our lives again spoiler alert spoiler alert (laughs) yeah um so she was my doctor and we started with those pills and it she had said we could do up to four of them and basically was telling me this could take a while Mm. so I think we did two or three of them I honestly don't remember before things actually started happening 
Um, if you've been induced in this kind of situation, it's not just like, oh, you're induced. Like, I feel like a lot of people talk about like, oh, you're just induced and yeah. labor starts. And no, it's a process it's, and yeah. a half. <laughs> yeah. And it can take a really long time, like you said, from when they start giving you whatever medication to get labor started. And then once it starts, oh, it starts. Oh, yes. It's yeah. Been. So I actually did a folly bob. So that is beautiful. Not going to. Well, that's something. So for people that don't know, but I had one of those as well. It's to help open your cervix. So you had the pill to soften the cervix and then the foley bulb helps to open up your cervix um, if it's not happening naturally. Right. So I don't know how far I was dilated. I did get a few centimeters and then it was basically like every three or four hours. um, My doctor was checking on me and I think after, let's just say eight hours, she was ready to break my water. And she had asked me previously, and I was just not mentally prepared for that. Mm. And then eventually I was, and that was disgusting. Mm. <laughs> like, all these terrible things that happened to me that still... They <laughs> are. It is not a gross. pleasant experience. And my doctor was like, why is your face like that? Am I hurting you? I'm like, no, this is so gross. So. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very weird. Funny part of yeah. the story. I'm like, yeah. she, I'm like, do people normally have a normal face when this is happening? <laughs> Water gushing out of you for no reason. Right. So then I had started Pitocin. Not, don't remember the exact timeline of all the events, but on Pitocin, like, and it was cranked up to the yeah. point where at one point my doctor actually told the nurse, like, you need to take it down a notch. I think I had gotten my epidural. My mom, she was very protective of me. As soon as they started with the softening, she's like, can she get an epidural? I'm like, mom, nothing's happening. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> so when things started to happen and it was intense, I did get the epidural, but it didn't fully work. Mm. So I had pain radiating out of my hips mm. and the nurses were like, well, you feel a little pressure. I'm like, no, this is like knives stabbing me from within. So oh it's gosh. not, I'm like, again, I have very high pain tolerance. So now at this point, it's the next day, but in the middle of the night, um, and I'll just skip forward a little bit. So then they, you know, one of their routine checks, basically they couldn't find his heart rate. Mm. So I had monitors in me, up me, on me, just things everywhere. They had me flip a few times and then... And I didn't really realize, I didn't realize what was happening. I just thought, because the monitor had fallen off of me a few times and, you know, you know yeah. he's obviously like moving, getting ready to come out. And my mom had excused herself because, no, actually, I'm going to step back. Before this, I had told my mom, I think I have to poop. Mm. And that's when, I didn't remember this in the moment, but my mom had said, when you need to push, it feels like you, you have, have to, to poop. poop. Right. So when I told her to that, not thinking to myself, I need to push, like I literally thought I had to poop. Yeah. My mom flew out of the room to get the nurses. Oh. So that's when they came to check me, prepare me to have him, and then they couldn't find his heart rate. So my mom had already excused herself to go to the bathroom because even though she was basically my coach during my labor, mm. she wanted my husband and I to have the moment together to birth our son. So she's gone. Um so they flipped me a bunch of times, couldn't find his heart rate, and that's when my doctor looked at my nurse. My doctor was kind of down at my legs where the baby was. The nurse was kind of near my shoulders or head, and my doctor looked at my nurse and said, call it. And I, lights flew on. They called Condition O, which is they were rushing me to the operating room. And my mom wasn't there, so that was really hard. Yeah. But I stayed totally calm. Like I was just telling Gretchen, I, I've made myself numb 
through the whole process and continued to do so because I knew it's kind of like fight or flight. And Absolutely. I was fought the whole time. So I'm um, being wheeled down the hallway. There's people everywhere. It's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> people How just fast out of the woodwork. Move. Yeah. And this is three o'clock in the morning. So, you know, people are probably a little yeah. sluggish. I mean, obviously hospitals are 24 seven and they're on their game, especially in the ICU. So people are coming everywhere. They're, I'm putting on a hairnet, I think. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> but eventually I get wheeled into the operating room. So I'm alone. So my husband wasn't there. My mom's in the bathroom and all. It just kept saying to them that somebody needs to find my mom. Yeah. So part of her story. So she's in the bathroom, like, oh, getting ready. Like <laughs> She has no have, idea. Yeah. And so they call condition O and the whole hospital can hear it. And they call your room number. Mm. My mom said she was in the bathroom and, like, saying, don't say her room. Of course, it was my room number. So then she came running back. Um, and we didn't get to see her until after I was all done. So I'm in the operating room. And they get me on a table. And I think at this point, one of the nurses, I think that main nurse that called the condition O, told me that they had found his heart rate. But in that, I remember that. But in that moment, I don't know, that didn't really mean anything to me yeah there's people everywhere luckily I had an epidural so I was already kind of numb they're putting IVs in me and poking me to make sure I was numb before they come and me they open. really do they completely take over like yeah. they're moving your body parts they are not talking to you they don't tell you anything because their main goal is we want to get the baby out and we want to get him out now right and to that point actually there was an anesthesiologist I think he was that spoke to me like the whole time and got in my face and I wish I knew who he was but he got down you know you're strapped to a table yep. you know mm -hmm. and got in my eyes and was telling me certain oh. things rather than like my nightmares and I'll get to that later my PTSD of those bright operating lights so you're just yeah. forced to stare, stare at mm -hmm. so and then I told my brother like since it was an emergency it felt like they cut at my belly button mm. like I felt something and then my friend who's a nurse was like that was probably them just like pulling out your insides I'm like great <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Want we'll some funny yeah. jokes into this. <laughs> we need to laugh too sometimes when it gets overwhelming. So there was just a lot going on. And then again, I heard call it and they said 343, which is funny because his time of birth is written down at 344. But even in my state, I know you they know. said 343. But at the time, I didn't know if they were calling time of death uh, or time of birth Wow. because he didn't cry. Nothing. And Again, time is just a blur. Not sure, but my doctor, she did come to me and she was like, I was shocked he was breathing when he came out because mm. when they're trying to get him out, I he keep hearing push and all these things. And I'm like, You want me to push? Like, I am numb to the <laughs> core yeah. at this point. Because the lady that was testing me, I know I never answered her oh, when she yeah. was like, Can you feel this? Because there was just so much going on. I know for a fact didn't answer her. So I was, I was pretty numb. <laughs> yeah. So they're yelling, Push and getting him out. So. You know, he got out and I just kept asking if he was okay, asking if he was okay, and nobody would answer me. The Ugh. anesthesiologist was like, I don't know, I don't know. And finally, another funny thing, he goes, she's okay. And I was like, hmm. She? I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm having a boy. <laughs> because, like, we found out at 20 weeks, and then when I was admitted at 34 weeks, when they were checking his size, I had her check again because she had asked, like, oh, what are you having? And I'm like, I'm told a boy, but, like, Double I just check. wasn't I just wasn't yeah. convinced. Um, so that was funny. And he was like, she's okay. And I'm like, pretty sure I'm having a boy. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. And then eventually they asked me what his name was, and I said Noah James because my husband and I had already 
decided on that. And eventually, they did bring my husband into the operating so room. So you were alone. In yes, the I was alone room. the whole time. So that's why I'm so thankful for that anesthesiologist. That man, I don't know if that's what he was or not, but yeah. talked to me even if I couldn't see him. He was talking to me behind me and kind of as much as he could, letting me know, like reassuring in any way, right? Yeah. Because before he. Like, I, I literally thought he was dead, and I was just thinking there, like, how am I going to tell them to just, like, kill me because yeah, not <laughs> not going to be without him. So, eventually, and I kept just saying, I need to see him, I need to see him, I need to see him, and I probably, I don't even know, I probably just kept repeating it. Yeah. So, at this point, they did bring my husband in, lovely nurse, don't know who she is, but brought him in the front, so I wasn't closed up yet, so <laughs> my husband saw my whole insides. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I probably should have brought you in the back door. Because <laughs> it was all delayed because obviously yeah. they didn't know what was going on. And he had to put the full, like, suit on. So eventually he was there with me. And one of the NICU doctors, I assume, was holding my son Noah and brought him over. So I could at least see visual proof that he was there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget his little face. Still never cried. Just was wide-eyed, blinking. <laughs> and she, like, let us give us give him a kiss, but he was too far away from me. I didn't actually get to touch him, but at least I got to see him. So eventually they bandaged me up, whatever, wheeled me into the, my original, well, my ICU room. And I didn't know anything about him at that point. And I... Right, because he wasn't with you. They took him. Oh, no, he went and it was, I think, just a service to me that they even showed him to me. Wow. Because I wouldn't. And he was breathing, so... Yeah. But, no, he went straight to the NICU. I went back to my ICU, and I asked them how much he weighed. And when she led with three pounds, I was just <laughs> devastated. Oh. But that's all I knew was he was three pounds, 15 ounces, and about 17 and three-quarter inches long. Now, I had, had preeclampsia, which yeah. I forgot to mention that you are put on magnesium, oh, which is... the devil drug. The death. It is I said awful. a man invented that. Or someone. (laughs) Probably accurate. (laughs) It's awful. So not only are you're you're in labor and all this crap, you feel like death. Yeah, because it makes you hot and nauseous and drowsy and dizzy and tired. Like, it's awful. It's awful. And you have to be hooked up with that 24 hours after after birth. birth. Yep. So now I'm in the ICU. And so this is still like his birthday. So he was born at 343, even though... Says 344. Right. It's 344. <laughs> All of this stuff mm-hmm. says 344. Um, so I'll just fast forward. They were very busy that day. I'm hooked up to IVs. I needed a nurse to take me to the NICU to see him because I'm on IV pools. I was so numb that it took forever to get any feeling left. And eventually, finally, there was other things going on. Of course, I would have, in my situation, I was glad people were there for me. So I'm sure somebody else needed all of these staffing but for some reason there wasn't enough staff to take me so literally Uh. 11 hours later is when I got to meet my son in the NICU so that's really what is hard because I ended up missing out on pretty much the first two days of his life because I was so sick she didn't even really want to take me to the um the nurse didn't no I mean they were so understaffed that she had to leave the ICU and take me to the NICU and some other little girl, just not even like a nurse, just like a, An aide a or staff something. or yeah. like, I don't even, she, she was, you know, I'm very thankful she was with us, but like, you know, that's who was available at that point was yeah. to take us. So 
and we, we didn't stay long. I was so nauseous. I remember they wheeled me right up next to his incubator and um, one of the NICU nurses came in to kind of open him up. Well, not open him up. Open oh, up yeah. his home. Yeah. His box, as I called it, when we were there. Um, and I, like, sat up right away and I was just so nauseous. I was sweating. Oh, yeah. And I remember doing that, but I don't really remember much. I mean, I got to hold him and he was just bruised and cut on his nose he had a dent in his skull (laughs) from being pushed out but other than that I mean he was small but again kind of a fast forward he was fine it was truly a miracle because another thing I left out about my c-section my placenta had abrupted so when they had opened me up they discovered that so he was that's why my doctor was shocked that he was breathing because he was basically in there without anything without anything so it is truly a miracle that there's nothing wrong with him because if you look up placental abruption and I know some people that have had issues with that like can cause lots of damage not having oxygen and and the nutrients yeah so he himself wasn't allowed to like eat he was on IVs for 24 hours because mm-hmm. they had to keep testing his liver to make sure that was okay from being inside mm-hmm. with not having anything so birthday's supposed to be the happiest day of your life but it was actually one of the worst because I was we were we all my mom my husband got to hold him but then we went back to my room and they visited him later but I was too sick I couldn't even keep my eyes open I wasn't actually really allowed to leave because I was still hooked up to my IVs until the next day which they came out in the middle of the night because I was so swollen and Mm. So Friday into Saturday, no one was in the hospital, no IV team. They had millions of people come in to try to stick me again for that darn magnesium. So it wasn't until, so he was born February 10th. I didn't really see him. I don't have any pictures with him until February 12th, so two days later. I can only imagine that experience because, again, when we think about these typical birthing experiences, you baby comes out in whatever way, whether it's vaginal or a C-section, and then you get real, rolled back to your room with your baby. Right. And so the loss that you experienced of having, knowing that your child was there, right. was outside of you, and that you couldn't be with him. Right. And I felt a disconnect for very long, and I feel like I'll always try to make up for those two days and the days that followed not being with him. Um, yeah. That's why his birthday is a big deal for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Threw a great first birthday party and been planning his second birthday, which is approaching. Um, but that was really hard that I, once, even once I was off the IVs and was allowed to leave, I just physically couldn't. It would take all day. I had to oh. obviously be in a wheelchair. Um, I still had very high blood pressure. Like they say, oh, birth is the quote unquote cure of preeclampsia, but they don't necessarily tell you it's going to take a while. For and mine, it to all come down. mine took quite a while. Yeah. So he was in the NICU. Again, we were very blessed that he passed all of his tests. He continued to just basically defy the odds and was fine. He was just little. He had to get up over four pounds to come home and 
jump through all the hoops. I feel like a normal or typical birth, as we yeah. were saying, it's like you have that baby and they hand it to you and they're like, GTFO. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, right. Literally, if it's vaginal, 24 hours. If it's a C-section, two or three days. Right. And then they're like, peace, bye. Yeah, and since I was so sick, my doctor that delivered me was then actually on rounds. Mm. Bless her. She kept me an additional day. So I was admitted four days. Wow. After. Right. So he was born on February 10th. I was discharged on Valentine's Day. Um, And I was just so happy to get out of there because at that point it had been like 12 days. I'd maybe showered once. Oh, yeah. You know, and then you have a C-section and Mm -hmm. my hair was beautiful. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like I just couldn't wait to get out. But we visited with him in the NICU. But leaving that hospital without your baby was the most awful feeling i just was walking yeah i think i walked to the car yeah in slippers of course because shoes didn't fit me yeah but i was just sobbing and like i knew he was okay and some people i'm like don't get to leave with their babies at all but but that's that's still a point like in anyone's story so many people have always said to me like well i had a hard time but i didn't have as hard a time as you but that might be true but your experience is your experience. Your grief or your circumstances are yours to feel how you choose. Maybe right. to an outsider, you had the perfect birth, but something didn't go the way you yourself wanted, More and you're yeah. suffering from that. So I have to also remind myself that it's okay to feel sad or to feel like I missed out on something, even though I do have a healthy, perfect son everything's fine. Well, no, I think it's a really important point, though, because it's easy for ourselves to downplay our emotions because, well, I shouldn't feel bad that, you know, I had to leave him there or that I didn't get to spend those two days with him because, look, he's healthy and look at him now. Or mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Like, that, those were still losses that you experienced and they're completely valid. You know, the fact that you didn't get to see him for two days and you thought that you would or you hoped that you would or that you had to leave the hospital. And for how long? Like, he was in the hospital for how long before you could bring him home? So he was born February 10th and discharged February 22nd so about 13 days that last night in the hospital we actually got to spend with him they do yeah it's called like nesting or something we basically I said it was like a hotel room slash jail cell my brother was like so like a dorm room that's (laughs) That's exactly pretty much much like that so they take your baby off the monitors I mean because again this is not your typical experience I mean he was hooked up to IVs and always on monitors for his heart rate and pulse and oxygen and then you take those off and it's like now, now what, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's what it's kind of nice that there was that option for us to do this nesting so we his last night in the hospital we did spend with him and then the nurses are there they continue to kind of check up on you make sure he's okay you're still kind of yeah. recording your feedings and um everything like that which speaking of feedings I am breastfeeding didn't work out for us so basically that's well that's, an- to the that's another chase. loss though yeah and that was really hard because I mean they really push it on you and yeah. which I was like fine with pumping like my mom was very supportive and helped me because I would literally just sit there and I would fall asleep I was so sick that <sighs> I couldn't even stay awake and she would like hold the pumps to me <laughs> because and then she eventually they make little like bras that you can like hook them to yourself so yeah. those are great for any are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> moms out there think of those um but um he just he was so small he wouldn't latch and 
it's more of like a preemie problems, which regular normal babies might feel bad about like complaining like he slept all the time I literally you had to stroke his cheeks and like pinch him and tickle him just to get him awake because in the NICU they have to meet their benchmarks they set their feedings you have no control really and that's another loss like I felt like this is not my baby and I would tell my friends I'm like I don't think they're gonna let me like take him home like yeah. you so they were like trying to force and I, I kept trying but I'm like it's just isn't gonna work for me and I'm happy that I kept holding my ground because eventually I was like we're not doing it it's just not going to work um I think I had this it's a syndrome or I'm not sure it's called like DMER it's an acronym D-M-E-R and it's basically you experience sadness when your milk lets down because I would just cry as it was pumping I hated it and he wouldn't latch so that's just another loss and something I'm happy I eventually stood my ground I continued to pump for two months but he was having reflex and eventually like he went to straight formula and he was much better it was easier to feed him more relaxed because I wasn't worrying about feeding him and then pumping or pumping and then feeding him um it's you have those instincts you just have to find them and and trust them listen to them over all the voices because you know, I went from the NICU, everybody's telling you, which I accepted that because I didn't know and mm-hmm. I couldn't even get my baby, pick him up and hold him myself for many days yeah. because he was attached to, especially when he was on the IV, um, that was scary. I didn't want to obviously hurt him. Right. Um, eventually we got the hang of it, but still even that loss, I mean, we visited him every day from like 10 to 5 because I was just so exhausted. I had to go home and sleep yeah. because I was still so sick and and recovering yourself right like my through the whole time he was in the hospital I went everywhere in a wheelchair even then coming home I wasn't allowed to drive do anything until my six-week checkup you know a lot of people you might at your six week you go back to your workout your life that was when I that was like my day one like (laughs) like my post baby day one was six weeks later until my blood pressure came down and I could do the stairs finally and it's just all those compound things that it it's hard to relate when you're talking to other people that have had more typical experiences. Um, if you hadn't have a C-section, and especially if you have not experienced a NICU, because yeah. it's a special and terrible place at the same time. But everybody kind of shares that bond of experiences of, you know, not being with your baby and having to watch him on a at least we have technology now we could see him on a webcam at night but it's just a lot of things that have pretty much made up my birth story there yeah and what were some of the things that I don't know that that helped if that's even a word like what people did or said or what didn't you know right um I'll go with what helped I had two specific friends actually that I hadn't talked to in a while um one from high school when they brought us meals like actually mm. asked like would you like this you know because we were basically once we got home it was like takeout like I think we went and got sushi at one point because that made me throw up when I was pregnant so I was like <laughs> try to eat the healthy you know the, yeah. the safe <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they made us you know we're leaving off we were living off of pizza and like deli sandwiches like when we finally even brought Noah home my mom had stocked our fridge and yeah. like 
I didn't want any celebration until he was home. Like, I didn't even accept that I had a baby until he was home. And so my mom had the stork in the yard and balloons and signs. Um, But then, you know, it's like, now what? So that's why my friends, you know, they brought over, like, freezer meals, crockpot meals. Um, I had some of my hashtag mom crew friends set up huge edible arrangement. And that just, like, he was still in the NICU at the time. Mm -hmm. But that just just to know someone's thinking about you because unless you've really gone through it and even though I don't think any of them had, but they all have children. It's just, you don't know, you're not sensitive to the fact. And I think I'm so much more sensitive to other people's pregnancies and births now. So having those people that even if they hadn't gone through it, were sensitive to my experiences and sensitive to helping us was very helpful. I'd say not helpful one was somebody that came home from the hospital and was walking around with their baby literally like the day they came home. Like, like she was like, "Oh, aren't you jealous of me?" And I was <gasps> just like, "Yeah." And I was like, yeah. "You're like, yes, in fact, I am." <laughs> After that was actually when I really started sharing my story, just so that, I mean, if you haven't gone through it, maybe you're not sensitive to it. I mean, you should not be that insensitive. Period. Yeah. <laughs> but. I started sharing my story and just so many people like would message me and like, you know, I had a hard time too, even if they didn't, you think you were one of those people. Like, even if you don't get into detail, it's just helpful knowing people are like thanking me for sharing my story and for being brave in that respect, because it is hard to like all these people know what I went through and now you do too. But (laughs) well, no, but it's so important not only to be able to share it, but I think for other women to realize that like, it's a valid experience, right? Like you had a multitude of losses throughout your entire experience. And yet you still have a wonderful, cute as a button (laughs) little boy. And so it doesn't undo those things. So it's important that, you know, I think we all try not to have too many expectations or I tried not to have too many expectations going in with my pregnancies and the births. And even when you do that, when things like your experience or things that, you know, people go through where it does become even more, it's not just, oh, I was really hoping for a vaginal birth and I had a C-section, which is still a loss for some women and it's valid. But when it goes beyond that, because now we're talking about there's trauma on top of it, it's a whole nother experience. Right. And I definitely... I'm doing a lot better now. He's almost too hardly have any like PTSD. And some people would be like, it sounds like you have PTSD. And I'm like, I really truly do. And then that's when I started kind of researching birth trauma. And especially when you like read kind of like NICU stories and stuff like that, a lot of people have similar stories. Um, So I started to kind of be more aware aware of that. Like I used to, I would close my eyes and all I could see were those lights of the operating room. And I just, Mm -hmm couldn't shake it for the longest time what has helped you to kind of process and get through or manage all those losses and also some of the trauma that you've experienced I think really time I mean it's cliche but and time and giving yourself grace and just like accepting it and like I said before like not thinking oh well it could have been worse because it definitely could have yeah But just accepting that what happened to me was terrible and just accepting that that's okay to feel like that, even though it turned out okay. You know, I still, like you said, I still had those losses and it's okay to accept that, to know that and to share that. Sharing 
mostly, um, you know, through writing on Facebook, Instagram, you know, social media. It's hard to talk about in person. So this is big <laughs> for you. And I know yeah. it is. And I really I usually it. can't even get, I mean, obviously I cry a little bit, but mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like a long time to talk about it and <laughs> <laughs> feel okay. Um, but also, like, I have, like, another lesson knowing that we do not plan on having more children just because of what I went through, what my husband had to go through, seeing me like that, seeing our son. I mean, he had to do everything. I mean, that's a loss, too. Like, I could not take care of him. Yeah. And thank goodness my husband has an incredible job, and he had paternity leave, paid paternity leave. I mean, even if we didn't, he would have, like, been with me, or he was like, we would have found nurses, but even when he went back to work three weeks after Noah was born, I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. going to do yeah. this. So it was just a lot to take in. Absolutely. Um, but so knowing that we do not plan on having more children is also a loss to accept. Of course, I'll probably eat my words someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully. Yeah. I still have that hope that I'll have another child. I always envisioned myself with two. Um, but for just the safety of myself, I don't doubt that I could get pregnant again. It's I don't know that if I could sustain and survive that or if I'm in the hospital, I don't want to do that All over to again. my son, yeah. um, to my family. It was very hard on, like, just my extended family, just knowing what was going on. I wish I'd, like, saved text messages and phone calls because I just I don't even remember, like, what I said to them. So... And going back to how it's hard to talk about, I mean, people are always like, oh, when are you going to have another one? Like, even people that know my story, and it's just like, I usually can't even say it without choking up that I just say I can't have more because I truly don't know if a child would survive. Right. You know, I, it's not that I can't get pregnant. I mean, well, I don't know that for sure. But, right. you know, it's like, but that that's a even bigger loss and an even bigger point of insensitivity because... I mean, for so many people, it is just like, oh, you just keep having babies or, right. you know, I always did want more, but I'm very happy with our life. He has a doggy brother, so mm. he was my first baby. So it's not like we don't have plenty of love and they're raised as brothers, yeah. but that's something that's very not helpful yeah. in this type of situation. But I think the point is really just being sensitive and thinking before you talk because yeah. not everyone has that typical experience that you just have babies and it's normal I guess yeah right absolutely well thank you so much Heather for coming on and sharing your story and um so powerful it was so great and I really do think that it is going to I hope I know that like you sharing your story with me has been very helpful because of my experiences and all of that kind of stuff and so I know that other women out there are going to be um touched by what you've shared so thank you so much for coming thank you I appreciate that Thank you for listening to Conversations to Connect with Gretchen and Christy. If you like our show, want more information, and want to connect with us, go to our website at www.conversationstoconnect.com and follow us on Instagram. We hope this episode has given you some useful tips to create meaningful conversations in your life. If you feel like you would benefit from talking with a therapist, one resource is www.psychologytoday.com, where you can contact your insurance company. See you next time.